a wonderful message for us, I believe, today from the book of Daniel. Yes, a challenge about, uh, about America, yes, about our responsibility uh, before God. I entitled the message, Living in a Changing Country, and we certainly live in a changing uh, a country, and, um, and not necessarily what we would think to be that which is right and what the Bible would say to be that which is right. But uh, we still live in a free land, and there's a lot to be said for that, and I'm thankful for it. And I'd like to challenge you today. I'd like uh, Daniel to challenge you today uh, about uh, what we need to be thinking about, what we need to be doing in light of uh, the country in which we live and in light of the truth we see in the Word of God. So let's pray. Ask God to give us his understanding and help today. Father, I thank you that... um, Uh, You have given us the the privilege, the wonderful blessing of living in America. Thankful that I'm an American and that you have uh, given us the freedom to gather together today and open the word of God and preach from it without fear of being thrown in prison or something something even worse. And I I thank you, Lord God, that uh, we have enjoyed that for years and years. And I pray that as we see some things happening in our country that we would be Christians that are doing our part to continue to uphold that which is right and good and decent. And may we be challenged today from the life of Daniel, a man who lived under a foreign government and under leadership that had complete control, and yet he still was a tremendous testimony of the glory of God and and. and glorified God by his life. And so may we learn from him and may we be challenged today and we'll thank you for what you'll do in Jesus' name. Amen. General Omar Bradley died in 1981. I need to dismiss young people, don't I, right now? I almost forgot that. So see, I almost forgot something. Young people can head on out for time in the word. And then I'll tell you about General Omar Bradley in just a moment. All right, young people can head on out to the upper room for time in the Word of God. All right, as they're heading on out, let me tell you about General, General Omar Bradley. He was a senior officer of the United States Army during and after World War II. He rose to the rank of General of the Army. Bradley was the first chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, and he oversaw U.S. military, military making policy uh, in the Korean War. He made an interesting comment worth sharing. That's why I took time to tell you a little bit about him. And it seems like a truth we're seeing evidence more and more. Here's what he said. America today, and again, this was back in probably in the 70s when he made this statement, maybe even a little bit before that. Uh, America today is running on the momentum of a godly ancestry. And when that momentum runs down, God help America. True statement, and it is continuing, if you would, on the momentum the wrong way. To be honest, quite frankly, the momentum's run down, and uh, that well-known uh, statement that he, or that statement that he made is an important one. You know, rather than I've I've often thought maybe we should stop saying God bless America and we should say as we ended the song with God help America, because we really do need some things to change. And it's encouraging to me to know that God can help America. 
But God will help America through those who know him doing what they ought do and being what they ought be. And such we learn from many different places in the Bible. In fact, today I thought we might be going through just New Testament passages where God gives us instruction. Always thankful for the 4th of July and other times. This is one of the times in the year where, you know, you can focus on uh, the responsibility that Christians have toward government. And I thought we would look at the New Testament. But uh, then I've been reading through the Old Testament. I've been reading through the Old Testament uh, it's been striking to me to be reminded of the fact that just because we see things that maybe aren't going the direction we would like to see them go in America, this is nothing new. Do you know I've been reading through the kings? We're studying that even as, as the men. But as you get, the men are studying Solomon right now, and we've just gotten done with David. Uh, and these were godly men, and the children of Israel were going the right direction at that time. But uh, if you start reading in the Kings and you get to the list of those after that, and you'll find that Israel was living for God, wasn't living for God. They had a good country, they had a bad country. It was, things were going great and they were serving the Lord and they weren't. And, it, and then, you know, a couple of Kings would come along and they wouldn't serve the Lord. And then one would come and get things right with God and things were going back and forth and back and forth. And it kind of reminds me a little bit of our, well, what's been going on probably over the last, uh, what, 40 or 50 years or maybe even longer than that. It just seems like, you know, you get, you get a good president in and, man, everything's going well. Then you get a bad president in and things aren't going so well. And then you get a good president in and like, things are going a little bit better. And then you get a bad president. Then you get a president who does basically nothing. You know, I mean, you just have that kind of going back and forth all the time. And as I saw that in the Old Testament, I started to think through, you know, well, you know, these people had to live with good governments, with bad governments. And the truth is we do as well. And it's important for us to know how to act. And one of the people that came to mind was Daniel. And I'm not there yet. I'm just still in the Kings. But uh, as I thought through the life of Daniel, I thought about a guy who lived under bad government. I mean, look, you, you just can't question this. He lived under bad gov government. Nebuchadnezzar was not a good, moral, decent king or leader. Uh, nor were the other ones that he was uh, uh, that he served under, and he was in in if you would in very important positions in that government, and yet Daniel lived for God, and Daniel uh, has some wonderful things for us to learn today, and some things to be challenged about, and so uh, let's look at the life of of Daniel, and let's in, be encouraged today to dare to be a Daniel. Can we do that? Maybe you should entitle the message that, Dare to be a Daniel in America in 2022. Uh, and may we be like him in many ways. Um, again, we live in a changing government. We live in a day when things are happening all the time that uh, maybe cause us to question, you know, almost, well, Lord, is there any hope for America? But even when we say that, we see men and women in the Bible who lived godly lives, no matter what government they were under and what authority they were under. By the way, we could have done a study in the book of Acts, which is a tremendous lesson about people serving in governments that weren't going the right direction, but they lived for God and did that which is right. But today, our privilege is to focus in on this chapter. And we read right at, or this book, and in chapter 1, we read, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. Now, that's an important thing to note. It was the Lord who did this. 
And the reason the Lord did this is because the Lord had been sending prophets. I got to stop here. I got to just got to give you that little history. God had been sending prophets one after another to say, look, get things right with God. This is the God's people. Get things right with me. And if you don't, then look, trouble's coming. Trouble's coming. And by the way, right there, there's already a lesson, isn't there, for us? Okay, get right with God. Because if you don't, trouble is a coming. And, uh, and that's what we find happening. And the Lord then said, gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. And the vessels of the house of God were taken. And, and the, the king took those to, to his God and put them in his God's uh, place. So it was, it was really a mockery of the God of heaven and earth, all because the children of Israel hadn't done right. And in verse 3, we read, And the king spake unto Ashpenaz, the master of the eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel and of the king's seed and of the princes, children in whom was no blemish, but well-favored and skillful in all wisdom and cunning and knowledge and understanding science, and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace, and whom they might teach the learning in the tongue of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat and of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. Now among these were the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names, for he gave unto Daniel the name of Belteshazzar, and to Hananiah of Shadrach, and to Mishael of Meshach, and to Azariah of Abednego, and I know why we choose Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, don't you? It's just so much, it just flows so easily out of us. But yet we call him Daniel, don't we? Kind of interesting thing. But Daniel purposed in his heart, that famous verse, that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. So we're going to look at Daniel and his life. And I start with a number of words to start with the letter R, right? And the first word is rejoice. See, rejoice. What kind of crazy thing would you say? And why would you even bring up the word rejoice as we begin a message as Daniel is conquered by a pagan king taken to a foreign land to serve in under a pagan king? Well, this morning, uh, for us, the message is rejoice. Because it's not that bad yet. Here's the, here's the truth, and I know this. I'm, I'm, I'm as bad as anyone. I can really get negative about the things that are going on in our country. And there is good reason to be concerned. But can I tell you something? There's a lot of people in Bible times who lived under far worse governments than you and I do and have faced far greater challenges of living for God in pagan lands than we do. And even today, even when we see, come on, let's be honest about it, and we're not going to close our eyes to the truth or stick our head in the sand. Look, we see a, a government, and we see a bunch of people leading our government who are, okay, let's just say it, they're wicked. They're wicked, godless people. They don't care about right. And quite honestly, they're seeking to pass legislation and other things that are totally contrary to the word of God. And this is not a, a Democrat-Republican issue, all right? This is a Bible issue. Uh, there are men and women who are not interested in that which is right, but we still, we still can meet together. Rejoice. 
You know, when I read about Daniel, when I read about the situation he was in, when I read about the government he was under, and quite honestly, the threat of his life that, that came because of Daniel 1.8, because he purposed in his heart, I just was reminded this week that there's still a reason to rejoice. And although many of our freedoms are being taken, and maybe there are threats to the fact that they may be taken, you know, there's still hope. There's hope that an election can change things at least somewhat. And quite frankly, even if it doesn't, we are still in a lot better shape than Daniel was, than any of the apostles were in the book of Acts when they faced governments that sought to take their lives. So this morning, okay, the message about America is rejoice. That's not as bad as it could be, all right? That's the truth. And sometimes it's easy to lose perspective on that, honestly. Um, I've gotten to a place, and, and I, needed this, I needed this point. I've gotten to a place where I just don't even want to talk about government at all. And, and when I talk about it with people, it's just a very negative thing. And it becomes where it kind of gets to the place where you just, oh, man, you want to throw up your hands. It's gone. It's over, you know. And, uh, and, and the truth is we still enjoy so many freedoms that many people don't. And so this morning, I want to tell you, rejoice. Just rejoice in the fact that you live in a country where, where you can still get gasoline. Well, it's getting a little bit harder. You still get gasoline. You can still come to church, and you can still worship. You can still tell people about Jesus Christ. There's places where you can't do that. Uh, there are missionaries going to, to, to lands where if they seek to win people to, their, to the to faith, their lives may very well be on the line for that. Muslim countries are that way. And so let me tell you something. This morning, as I come to Daniel chapter 1, I see the wicked pagan nation in which uh, Daniel was. J Daniel lived his life under three different kings. Actually, you'd say uh, probably more than that because he grew up in, uh, you know, in Israel for at least a while. Um, so under, what, three or four different governments, all of them, or worse than what you and I live in today. So, so the first one is rejoice, all right? Be thankful. Be thankful this morning that you are an American, that you do enjoy the freedoms that you, you can, and that you can still share your faith with other people. And as long as we have that opportunity, my friends, we need to take advantage of it because there may come a day when we can't or where when we do because we still need to do it. There may be a cost far greater than happens in our day. And quite honestly, um, I've come to the book of Daniel and I say, God, thank you that you've given me a land and you've allowed me my entire life to live in, the, in freedom. Rejoice. Rejoice. Now, second point is reality. And the fact is, Daniel and his friends faced a tough, a, a, what do you say, a, a real difficult reality, and that is living for God in a pagan land. Um, he wanted to live for the Lord. He had decided to do so. You see that in verse 8. It's the verse that's so often quoted when we talk about Daniel. Daniel purposed in his heart that he wouldn't defile himself. Daniel made a decision. He made a choice. He made a choice of his will, and he had dedicated himself to that very fact. But we know this, do we not, that the rules of the land were in, pop, were in opposition to his determination. 
We find that in verse 5 because it is the king who appointed them, the king's meat and the wine which he drank. And those things Daniel knew to be, as, as someone who was familiar with the law of God, things that he shouldn't participate in. And I remind you that when Daniel made this decision, uh, he was probably a teenager. We don't know exactly his age, but we do know this, that he was, he was still living, or at least he was, uh, he was still alive very close to the time when the captivity ended. You say, uh, when Daniel was in the lion's den, some say he was probably in his 70s or 80s. Uh, they were getting close to the end. Jeremiah said that there was going to be a 70-year captivity. Daniel actually figured that out. You can read about it in the book of Daniel. And so they were coming to the end of that. He was looking forward to that day. Um, and that was when Cyrus sent the Israelites back to rebuild the walls. Okay, King Cyrus. So these things are all going on. Daniel knew the book of Jeremiah. He knew the prophecies. He had figured it out toward the end of his life. He was still alive when it was really close. Darius, and then we have, uh, what, I think Cyrus uh, right after that. So he is really close to that time. So when he was taken, he had to be a teenager. He had to be very young. And here is a guy who is living in a situation, and the reality was it was tough. It was tough for him to live for God. It was tough for him to follow through with this decision. I am going to not defile myself with a portion of the king's meat. I am not going to eat something that I shouldn't eat. I'm not going to drink something that I shouldn't drink. And I got to tell you, that is a tremendous, what a tremendous testimony and what a life. Here is a man who said, hey, a young man who said, hey, I'm going to live for God. But the reality was that his life was on the line. Hey, look, you don't just go before a, a pagan king. You don't just go before his workers and say, I ain't eating this stuff. Just don't happen. You can't, you, you got to get this reality. The three Hebrew children in chapter 3 and verse 1, when the king made an image and required people to bow, the threat of death was real. They understood that. In fact, they said to the king, look, you know, whatever you do, you can, you can play the music again, but we're not going to bow. You go through this book and you just find that, hey, look, people in it throughout history have had to live with governments and the reality that it's not always easy. Quite honestly, we've had it easy for a long time, and for that we should rejoice. And quite honestly, we still have it easy, so for that we should rejoice. But the reality is that in many places and many times, people, Christians, are going to be called upon to make a decision. Are we going to serve God? Are we not? And the reality is it's tough to live for God, but we need to. And doing right is right. Whether we live in a country that says you can't witness to people, which may come in our lifetime, or whether we live in a country that allows us the freedom to share our faith, uh, it is often just difficult to live for God. And that's why God told us to pray in 1 Timothy 2, 2, that we might lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. You know why you pray for that? Because it's not likely that many governments are going to allow those things, that they're going to go that direction, or that they're going to stay there when they get there in the first place. Because the truth is, power corrupts. 
and governments go bad and people go the wrong direction. And so, though it may be rough, though it may be difficult, may, though the reality may be, hey, it's tougher to live for God today than it was 20 years ago. It doesn't change the fact that God has expectations of his people. So that's the reality. Third thing, and this is what I love about Daniel. Daniel teaches us about revival. He does. He teaches us about refocusing or renewal or resolve. Okay, so you got a bunch of R's under that point. Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. Look, there, kinda, there has to be a determination in our hearts that no matter what goes on in our country, no matter what decisions are made, no matter what laws are passed, that we're going to do that which is right. We need that determination. We need a reviving. I've said it many times, and I'll keep saying it, that honestly, as I look at the situation in Washington, as I look at the circumstances, the only real help for America is revival. It truly is. If you say, well, that can't happen. Well, Daniel was revived. And many others in biblical times were revived. You can look at Nehemiah. There was a great revival in his day. And that was a little bit after this time in Daniel's life. Well, actually, it was, you know, it was after the 70 years when they came back into the, into the promised land. There was a great revival. There was a revival in Ezra's day. And we can look throughout history and see how God did an amazing reviving work in people and a renewing work throughout history. Uh, there were times when the children of Israel had strayed from God and a new king would come in and that king would be godly and, and so the people would turn back to the Lord. Let me tell you, friends, what America needs, honestly, are churches like this where the Bible is preached and where Christians are right with God, where they are revived, where their spiritual life is renewed, where they are committed to, okay, Here's what God has said, and I'm not going to defile myself. I am going to please the Lord. I am going to live for him. We need that revival. Quite honestly, change does not take place in Washington. Change takes place here amongst God's people. And when God's people are right and doing what's right, and when we're being the witness that God wants us to be, there is no reason why a revival cannot sweep throughout this land. You know, you say, well, it's not going to happen. We're in the end days. The Lord's coming tomorrow. We don't know that. Quite honestly, there could be a huge movement of God in this world to turn the entire world back and, and, and you know, say years and years toward righteousness. Is God's hand shortened that he cannot save? Look, is it, is it hopeless? Is it just us biding our time and now we look at everything going on in America and say, oh, the Lord's coming back next week? Wouldn't it be better if Christians just said, you know, as much time as I've got, I'm just going to live for God. And if we would all do that, who knows what God could do in this land? Revival, renewal. Uh, repentance. I, I mean, we could come up with a bunch of R's here that fit in this, in this point. Uh, renewal, resolve. But the truth is we just need people who are committed to living for God. Because quite frankly, um, the other option is just being all bent out of shape about everything that's going on and miserable. And, and, <laughs> and I've been there. 
Okay, that's the truth. I've been there. I don't want to be there. I, I, I want to be, be in Daniel's camp. Hey, this morning, Christian, I want to be in Daniel's camp. I, I, want, to, I, want, to do, I want to do my part. What about you? Daniel purposed in his heart. Oh, nothing will ever happen. Okay. As long as you're there, nothing will ever happen. But if you'll make the decision to live for God, who knows what can happen? You say, who, who knows what happened? Well, Nebuchadnezzar, a short time later, uh, makes, a, makes another silly law. But do you know, honestly, because there were men that lived for God, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, because Daniel, because these guys stood, that king had a consistent testimony before him. There is a God in heaven. In fact, he learned that, didn't he? There is a God in heaven who is over all. And he actually, uh, Darius later on, when Daniel was thrown in the den of lions, made a law saying, you won't say anything bad against, against Daniel's God. Um, let me tell you something. The people in Washington need to see that. The, the people in Franklin need to see that. Need to see Christians who aren't just saying, well, the Lord's coming again. It's misery. This is a rotten place to live. You need to see Christians who are just saying, I'm going to live for God. And there's hope. And, there's, and, and if all else fails, there's a home in heaven, and if I go there, I'm ready. And I want, you to, tell you, I want to tell you about it. Revival, renewal. My, what, is, what that need is today, and, and how much is needed in a day in which it's just so easy to be focused on that which is bad. Years ago, an evangelist went to the prairies of Nebraska. He held special meetings, and he told the story. He said it like this. He said, it was just a little church. There was a center aisle. That was it. The seats went over against the wall from that aisle. Now, we had, a number, we had pretty good numbers as far as this small little church was concerned, but nothing else. He said, after several nights of preaching with no response, the pastor said to me, years ago, a family in this church quarreled, the community has taken sides in the matter. The members of the family don't speak to each other. And he said, quite honestly, that aisle down the center of the church divides the factions, if you didn't know it. People on one side don't speak to the ones on the other. The preacher said this. He said, one night, I don't know what happened, but when the meeting ended, the woman, women who had a grievance against one another met in front of the pulpit, and they each asked one another for forgiveness. He said, then things broke loose. There was only two nights left to the meeting, and it was quite a sight to see multitudes coming and getting right with God, a number of people getting saved. The night the campaign closed, just a few days again later, the pastor stood on the doorstep of the little church. He said, look out on the prairie. And the preacher said, all that live on the prairie know that you can see for miles. And the preacher said, I don't think there's a single unsaved man left in any farmhouse in sight because of what happened just over the last few days. God gathered them all during the last two or three nights when Christians got right with each other and with God. Look, I don't know. 
if we have had a, a just an unbelievable revival at Spring Meadow Baptist Church, whether it have any impact on Washington, D.C., but I'll tell you something, if we would have a great reviving here, it don't matter what happens in Washington, D.C. It really wouldn't. Renewal, revival, return to the Lord. These things are all seen when, when one teenage guy says, I'm not going to defile himself. When three Hebrew children joined with him, and then a little bit later, when their lives were on the line, they stood and said, we will not bow. Um, America needs that. Dare to be a Daniel, dare to stand alone. I, you know, I'd rather be, I'd rather be part, of the, part of the solution rather than part of the complaining crowd. Really, because quite honestly, I'm tired about being part of the complaining crowd. What about you? There's something else we learned, though, about in regard to government. I, I use the words request or respect. In Daniel chapter 1 at verse 8, Daniel purposed in his heart. But quite honestly, if Daniel lived in our day and he was some fundamental independent Baptist preachers, he would have, he would have gotten his three friends and they would have taken signs and they would have been walking in front of Nebuchadnezzar's palace saying, we will not eat this. You know, we will not drink your wine. This wicked heathen stuff. All right, because, because that's the kind of attitude sometimes people have. But you know, when I look through the book of Daniel, I see a man and three Hebrew children who showed great restraint, but also great respect for those who were in authority. You say, well, wait a second. The three Hebrew children said, we're not going to bow. Yeah, but I don't know if their attitude was, hey, hey, tough for you, man. We're going to do this anyway. Um, their attitude, uh, at least in the beginning, was we're going to stand. We're just going to do that, which is right. It was people who pointed them out who said, these guys haven't bowed. Which, by the way, how did those men even know? I mean, quite frankly, if they were bowing, they wouldn't have known. They wouldn't have had any idea. I suspect they were looking for it. But those, these guys weren't trying to make a scene. They were just doing that which is right. And then when they are called upon to make a decision, and the king says, what God is going to save you? Their answer wasn't, oh, we hate you, king, and tough luck, we're not going to do what you want us to do. What they basically said was, look, our God is able to save us if he doesn't. We're still not going to bow. We're just going to do that which is right. But there wasn't, uh, there, there wasn't this attitude of defiance. There seemed to be just an attitude, I'm going to do what's right. Daniel, in Daniel chapter 6, later in life, when he, bows, when he, when he gets on his knees and prays, he, he didn't hold a, a, a congress and meet with people to say, to tell King Darius, this is a stupid law. Okay, He just prayed, as he did aforetime. I love that. It wasn't as if Daniel, the first time he was told not to pray, went and opened his windows and prayed toward Jerusalem. He had been doing that each and every day of his life. He had been doing that for a long time. 
and he continued to do that which is right. And my friends, we just need people in America today who will do that which is right. I'm not talking about making a scene, but just be respectful and, uh, and make requests. I love Daniel here because it says in Daniel chapter 1 and verse 8, Daniel purposed in his heart he wouldn't defile himself. Okay, so he's got a problem. I've got to eat this stuff, but I've already decided that I'm going to serve the Lord. So what can I do about this? Well, we're going to march on City Hall. No, it says, therefore, he requested of the prince of eunuchs. So he showed great respect for a man, which, by the way, whose life would be on the line. He said that a little bit later. He said, if I do this, Daniel, I'm in trouble. My life is going to be in danger before the king. If I let you eat this stuff and you don't look good and you're not healthy and because and anyone who eats vegetables isn't going to be healthy, we know that. You got to eat meat and potatoes. Oh, man, this is one guy. I don't agree with Daniel on this one issue, but okay, that's another, that's another story. That's another story. All right. Uh, the, the truth is, though, uh, this guy, his life was on the line. Let's be honest. Don't expect an unsaved person to be in agreement with you and accept what, what you believe to be right. He didn't, by the way, agree with him, but Daniel was respectful, and he did what he could to, if you would, put it all in God's hands. I love it. I love the way he dealt with things in chapter 1. I love it because he goes, and he makes this request, and the guy says, well, if I do that, I'm going to be in trouble because you're not going to look as good as the others. So Daniel says, okay, test, test us. Actually, it wasn't test us. You know what ultimately what Daniel was saying? Test God. Prove him. And he was, all, he was putting it all in God's court because here's the truth. He couldn't do anything about his health by eating the pulse, eating the vegetables, eating the, the if you would, that, the food that wasn't forbidden by the law. He couldn't do anything about it. It was all in God's hands. And God took care of it. So an eight-day test gave opportunity for this guy to see hey, this works. And I really wonder, I still, I, I wish that God had put some of these things in here. I really wonder what the rest of the Jews thought. You know, and, and quite honestly, if, if I were in the other crowd and I hadn't made that decision, I would have been, oh man, I got to eat beans. Okay, sorry, I just get off there on, again on the thing, you know. I got to eat this, I got to eat this healthy food or whatever. Um, I don't know if he was real popular with the Jews. But here was a guy who had respect, who showed uh, reverence for and requested. Um, I, I think we need more of that in Christianity. And, and here we go. I'm going to harp on that. But I think a lot of um, people that want to do right sometimes don't do it the right way. And we need, in our country, Christians who are going to live for God and do what's right, but, but do it with the right attitude and the right spirit. Request, respect. Um, relief is another word. You say relief. Look at verse 9. Because you know what really made the difference? In this whole thing, it, it had to be, it was all in God's hands. Daniel made the decision. Daniel went up and spoke to the man. Daniel provided an opportunity, but it all had to be done. And I love verse 9 because it says, Now God had brought Daniel 
into favor and tender love with the prince of the eunuchs. So here's this guy that's responsible for them. And here's the truth. This guy has done this over and over. They've conquered. Nebuchadnezzar has conquered most of the known, known world. And don't think that they haven't done this with each one of the different places that they've conquered. So now they go to Israel and they take some slaves and they bring them over. You don't think that this guy for a minute is going to listen to some slave who has been brought in, who, who he has been instructed to, to train. It took the work of God. And I'm telling you something, that God is still alive today. So if we think, well, things can't change, why not? Don't you think God can give favor? Is not the king's heart in the hand of the Lord? And the Lord can turn it whithersoever he will? Now, maybe that isn't in the plan of God. And maybe it's true that we are marching toward the day when the Lord's going to come again. And I say, even so, come Lord Jesus. But if not, I want to be in Daniel's band. And I want to be a guy who's living such and doing the things that are right that God is working on my behalf so that I can continue to do the things God wants me to do as a pastor, as a Christian. And I think it's wonderfully encouraging to see that even in our day and even in our country, there are times where decisions are made that, that wouldn't even go with the flow. That It's obvious that God has been at work, and he was here in this day. So here's Daniel. He makes this decision. I'm going to live for God. I'm going to do what God wants me to do. And God gave him relief, you know, in the form of something that no one would know or understand unless we were told it in verse 9. That this guy, this guy had a, had, a, had the Lord changed his mind about Daniel. So Daniel, yeah, he was a slave. Do you know that that happened in another place? The Lord did that with Esther. That's right. See, if you think God can't work in the minds and the hearts of people to give, to give Christians favor, or to work in some way and change legislation, then, then, then my friends, you, you serve a small God. It is tremendous to see just that wonderful truth in verse 9 that when Daniel made the decision to do what's right, God worked in the hearts and minds of lost people to show favor and to help him to live right and do that which is right. And... Um, I can't help but believe that since my God's the same God and he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, that he can do the same thing. And he can relieve if I will seek to live for him and do what's right. So, relief. Now, we cannot come away from the book of Daniel with also, also without using the words refusal and righteousness. And let me explain that. There does come a time when Christians need to stand. When Christians need to say, okay, I, I, I can't do that, or I'm going to do that which is right. Um, as situations came up just in the last couple of years about that. Okay, we, I mean, we have our own illustrations. You know, we do. Um, when churches were told not to open their doors, there are decisions that are going to have to be made as the people 
There are decisions that are going to have to be made individually as our government and as our world goes further away from Jesus Christ and truth. Now, that revival can still take place. I want to live that way. But there does come a time when a Christian needs to stand and do that which is right. Daniel did when he prayed later on in life. Here, as a teenager, Daniel made his decision to live for God, and he stood for God. The three Hebrew children in chapter 3. I mean, we've just got a number of situations in this, in this book where these men had to say, okay, look, serving God means I have to live this way. Serving God means that the doors of the church need to be open. Serving God means, and we need to answer that question. You say, well, pastor, where did, where's the line drawn? Wow, that's a tough question. I got to admit, it, it, sometimes I, I, I don't know. And sometimes I don't know if we'll know until we get to, into the situation. Three Hebrew children, all of a sudden this guy builds an image. Who would have ever thought that was coming? Seriously. I mean, who would have ever thought that this guy is going to build this huge image and tell everyone to bow down to it, and if they don't, they're going to be thrown in a fiery, fiery furnace? Seriously, would you have thought? You'd say, well, knowing Nebuchadnezzar. No, you wouldn't have known that. I mean, that's kind of bizarre stuff. Who would ever come up with something like that? I, the devil, I guess, you know, would have put that in his mind or whatever. But when it comes time where we got to make a decision, then we'll take the word of God and we'll look at what God says and say, I can do that, I can't do that. And quite honestly, that's how Daniel lived. You know, how that's how the early church lived in the book of Acts. They did everything they possibly could to follow and obey the government they lived under. And Paul taught that in Romans chapter 13. But then when the government said, you can't witness, they said, we ought to obey God rather than men. Say, where is the line? I don't know if we can, we will be able to draw the line until we have a situation we're called upon to make a decision. And when we are called upon it, then we need to look at the word of God and say, what has God said? Here's the truth, honestly, and, 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 and not patting any bags. It was right to keep the doors open to the church. Quite honestly, at that time, during the COVID stuff, I wondered, did anyone else? Sometimes making those decisions aren't exactly easy. Um, but right is right. And as a Christian, we can formulate what we ought do based on the word. And as situations come up, we need to make those decisions. And then we've got to stand where God wants us to stand. If that means a fiery furnace, so be it. If that means a den of lions, so be it. If that means God gives us favor and God works in the situation so we don't have to compromise and we don't have to be involved in that which is wrong and he turns things around, so be it. Now, I would certainly prefer that. But whatever be the case, there comes a time where we have to refuse. There comes a time when we have to just stand and do that which is right because it's right. Daniel the book of Acts and the early church. Um, many people, Joseph, there are so many examples in the Bible of people who teach us how to live under corrupt governments. In fact, a great majority of the Bible is about people who lived under corrupt governments, it seems like. And yet, they still served 
will you? Dare to be a Daniel. Dare to stand alone. I think, rather than being people who are just complaining about the dismal decisions being made in Washington, we should be people making the decision. We're going to walk with God and live for God and serve God and obey God. Come what may. And we're going to be a light so that this world, this area of the country, sees the glory of God. And Lord willing, we'll turn to him. And if that happens, who knows? Who knows what could possibly happen in the United States government if God's people would be like Daniel. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes.